good morning. Last time I was up here, I didn't give much of a per- personal introduction for myself, so I thought this time I would do that because I realized that a lot of you out there don't know who I am. And so as Dwayne said, my name is Kelsey Jerkovich. I'm married to Abby Stolzfus, Brian and Sandy's daughter. We're both 24 years old. We're looking forward to uh, bringing our new child into the world in September, which we're really, really excited about. I've been getting to feel him kick in the belly and everything, and that's just really exciting for us. Um, we've been coming to Fairlawn for, well, Abby's been coming longer than I have with her parents. I started attending about four years ago when we got married. Um, about two years ago, we moved down to Florida so that I could go to Reformation Bible College and just learn more about God's Word, and now we're back and thankful to be here, um, to be able to serve along with you guys here at Fairlawn. Uh, This morning we'll be returning to our series in Galatians, Uh, but before we do that, please just pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Truly is a beautiful day when we can gather together and worship your name. Thank you for allowing us to do so, and I pray that you would be praised this morning as we look at the book of Galatians and what you've written through Paul. I pray that you would be lifted on high and that we would see you as glorious. Pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen. So Galatians 1, 11 through 24 is going to be the passage we're looking at this morning. If you'll turn there with me, I will go ahead and read it for us. I will be reading out of the ESV translation again, so we'll look a little different if you have uh, the NIV. Galatians 1, 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers." But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him fifteen days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went away into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Dwayne did a great job of introducing the series in Galatians last week. Part of what he was seeking to accomplish was identifying the the reason that the letter was written. And the reason that the letter was written is that people had crept into the church of Galatia and were distorting the gospel that Paul had brought to them, the gospel of Jesus. And so we need to continually have that in the back of our mind is the meaning, and this is what Paul is addressing. This is what he's confronting in anything he writes in this book. 
what he's really aiming to do is to lift up the gospel of God and set it on display to really remind the Galatian church of what the gospel of God is while at the same time undermining the gospel of man, which is what they had began to believe. As you can see that clearly in the first verse in our portion of Scripture, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So right off the bat, he's making a distinction between the gospel of God, the gospel he delivered, and the gospel of man, which is what they were now believing. And the gospel of man that they were believing had to do with works, had to do with a works-based righteousness. The people who had crept in were telling the believers there that they had to keep the law in order to be saved. They had to keep the law, specifically circumcision, in order to be accepted by God. And so as we look here, Paul kind of tells his testimony. And I believe what he's aiming to do in doing that is help them remember the gospel of God. And so as we look here, I'm going to go to a lot of different scriptures, all within Paul's corpus, all within his letters, because it is his testimony. And I want to look at the different areas and kind of look into deeper what he has to say about himself here in Galatians. So we will be going to some other verses. If you look in your bulletin, you should have an outline. There'll be a few of those on the screen for you, um, and you won't have to turn to all of them. I'll be moving through them pretty quickly. So first, Paul testifies of himself. He starts his testimony out, as many of us would. He says, I was a violent persecutor of the church. I was trying to destroy it. I don't know if many of us can, can really say that literally, but um, this was what Paul had identified with. This was his life before the grace of God came into his life. He was zealous about the traditions of his father, and he was advancing in those traditions. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as unbelievers, as, as men, we, we are not just merely indifferent to God. It may, it may look that way on the outside, but inwardly we're hostile to him. Unbelievers are hostile to God. They're looking to destroy him, even as Paul was. I was looking to destroy the church, Paul says. We're hostile to God. We're unable to keep his law. We cannot please him. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is our sin nature. This is, this is what we've put ourselves in, the position we've put ourselves in. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the sons that are now at work, excuse me, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does it mean that we are dead 
in our trespasses and sins. Does that bring a picture to you guys' minds when Paul says that? That you were dead in your trespasses and sins? What Paul is, is trying to do is he's using a figure of speech. When we see something that's dead, whether it be a person or, or an animal, what does that look like? Well, they're not thinking. We know they're not thinking. We know that they're not breathing. We know that they're, they're lifeless. They're not doing anything. They're dead. And so what Paul means to do in saying that you were dead in your trespasses and sins is put that visual picture before our eyes and saying you were unable to do anything of spiritual good. You were lifeless spiritually, dead in your sins. Not even that, he, he says that we followed the prince of the power of the air, that being Satan, who is at work in the sons of disobedience at this very moment. We were children of Satan, and by nature, children of God's wrath because of our sinfulness. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul makes a comprehensive statement about the sinfulness of man. And we know it to be so because he takes six Old Testament quotes and pushes them all together, different places in the Psalms, pushes them all together to kind of give us a, a very broad picture of, of our sinful condition. He says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's an extremely sobering picture of humanity. I think we, like the church in Galatia, don't always view ourselves necessarily in that light. The problem in Galatia was that they were seeking to earn God's favor. And if we look fundamentally at, at, at that as a premise in general, we have to say that we are good-natured people. If God is holy and God is good and he can only accept holy and good worship, and we believe that we can give it to him without any of his grace, without any aid from him, what are we saying about our nature? We must believe something other than the picture Paul has spoken of. We must believe that we're, we're really not that bad. We're really good-natured people. And that was the problem. That was the problem in Galatia. That was the foundation of their problem. They didn't understand their own sinfulness. But yet again, Paul is telling his testimony He's explaining to them, look at my life. Th this is who I was. This is who you were. 
But Paul's story doesn't end there, thankfully, and many of ours do not as well. In verse 15 of Galatians 1, Paul says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Paul was set apart by God before he was even a thought in his parents' mind unto salvation and unto preaching to the Gentiles the gospel of God. And if you look here, before I was born, I was set apart. Before I was born. He hadn't done anything good. He hadn't done anything to be worthy of salvation. He wasn't accepted by God because of acts of righteousness that he did. Titus 3, 4, and 7 testify to this truth. Paul says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So why were we saved? Well, we were not saved because of works done by us in righteousness. Paul says we were saved because God is merciful. And God is gracious. And he is good. And he is loving. He continually points the focal point. He continually redirects our eyes to Christ, to God, to who he is and what he has done and away from our thinking we can do it on our own. Paul is lifting up the gospel of God and saying that it's built on a foundation of grace. Whereas the gospel of man is built on a foundation of works. The gospel of man lifts up man. The gospel of God lifts up God. God's gospel, we're wicked. Man's gospel, we're good. And we don't need a savior. Dwayne looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 last week. I want to look at it again. I think it's, it's absolutely just an amazing verse, an amazing passage. This is one of the first passages that I, I did a paper on in college, so it's very close to my heart. And uh, you can see it on the screen there. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When I close my eyes and just kind of think about that, I really see Paul as a, as a masterful surgeon, kind of peeling away the layers of flesh and getting to the heart of the matter. Let me read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Here's the heart so that no man may boast. 
You see, what Paul understood and what Paul realized is that we're all Pharisees. We are all self-righteous. Really, in anything we do, we're seeking to, to boast about ourselves and what we can do. We're seeking to boast even in our salvation. We still struggle with, with the sin nature. It's still here. And we still believe that we either need to earn God's favor by doing good works or that we need to earn our salvation through those same means. But Paul clearly in this text is showing us it's by grace through faith, not of your own doing. Think about it this way. I think what Paul's really saying here is that salvation has been designed and set up in such a way that you cannot boast about it. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't. Because God has designed it for his glory. God has designed it to magnify who he is, not to magnify us. And that's really the reason we were created. We were created to worship God. We were created to love him and to commune with him. And these are the means by which he brings us back into that after we've cast ourselves into misery. So Paul lifts up the gospel of God in showing that it is built on a foundation of grace. Whereas the believers in Galatia were seeing it as built on a foundation of works. And so they worked out of that desire to please and earn their salvation. One author puts it very well. He says this, Not surprisingly, the religions that human beings invent always end up glorifying human beings. There is some law to keep, some teaching to follow, some ritual to perform, some penance to endure, or some state of consciousness to achieve that will bring salvation. One way or another, we climb up to heaven and reach God. That's man's gospel. We believe we are good. It's built on a foundation of works. So as we work, we climb our way up to heaven. But the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, is one that says God comes down to man. That's really, truly amazing if you think about it. Every other system of the world, every other religion of the world is designed for us to earn our way to some deity. But the gospel of God is based on him coming and seeking us when we were not seeking him. The gospel of God also has the power and does change sinful man. Paul shows this in Romans 8, 14. Actually, if we look in, in, in Galatians first, in verse 23 and 24, Paul says, They, the churches in Judea, were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul was a, a sinner 
He was wicked, just as we. He was changed by the grace of God. The grace of God came to him, and it changed him. It changed him from a wicked persecutor of, a, of the church to a gospel minister of that same faith he was trying to destroy. And it has the same power and does change us as well. Paul says in Romans 8, 14, and, and I'll just point your attention to the point, point one where we we're hostile to God. Their minds are set on the flesh. That's Romans 8, 7, and 8. So we're following in the same passage here. So we're sinful and God changes us. Romans 8, 14 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So God takes us from being hostile to him, from hating him, from not being able to please him, to being sons of God who love him and cherish him. And that's done by grace, not by works. Paul also says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, yet again, same passage that we were looking at before. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God, when we were dead in our sins, that same picture, dead, lifeless, reached down and pulled us out of the grave and gave us life. He brings us to life in Christ by grace. This is the gospel of God. This is the gospel of grace. Because of his rich mercy, because of his great love, he's brought us to life. We're children of God. We've been brought to life. But what have we been brought to life to do? For what purpose have we been brought to life? Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God restores in us the image of God that, that we tarnished. He brings us back into communion with him. He brings us and makes us alive so that we can work for his glory, not to earn favor with him, but so that he might be glorified, so that others might point to us as they did to Paul and glorify God because of what he's done in our lives. Not because we earned our way to God, not because Paul earned his way to God, but because God took Paul and radically changed his life. I love the structure of this passage in Ephesians. It's absolutely beautiful in the way that it points to the gospel of grace. And, and take some time to look at it later, but it goes, death, you were dead in your sins, you were dead in your trespasses, to life, being made alive in Christ, to being a new creation, and working for God's glory. The structure isn't, you were dead, 
you worked and then you received life because of your work. Uh, that's not what Paul's saying. I just think it's completely beautiful how that points us to the gospel from death to life to working out of that life. So this begs the question, uh, what, what is the role of good works in the Christian life? Well, we said that it's to, it's to glorify and honor God, but we need to understand that even, even we struggle with this, even Christians struggle with this, not necessarily earning our, our own salvation, but, but maybe earning favor with God. Or maybe even, well, I need to do good works so that God will continue to love me and so that he won't, he won't leave me behind. The gospel of grace changes us and it also sustains us. It takes us from beginning to end. Our good works are always reactionary. They're always a result of the grace of God working in our lives. And it's very important for us to realize that so we don't get caught in the mindset of working to earn favor with God. Our works are a result of his grace in our lives. Good works do not earn us favor with God, but rather they show that we have been favored by God. We've been talking a lot about legalism, and, and I suspect that we'll continue to because that's much of what Galatians is about and the issue that Paul's addressing in the church. And so how can we be free from the bondage to either earning our own salvation or, or earning favor with God? I think that we have to realize and we have to focus our minds on two things. First, we need to understand that and realize and accept that we are wretched people. That we're sinners and that we can't earn God's favor for that very reason. That's what the gospel of man teaches. You're not a sinner. You're a good-natured person. You don't need a savior. Secondly, as Dwayne said last week, and I think that it's so powerful, we need to trust and believe in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. If we believe that we can earn our own salvation or earn favor with God or, or that we have to do these things in order to be saved, what are we saying about Christ's sacrifice? Well, really what we're saying is, is Christ, you, you didn't do it. When you said it is finished, something must have been missing. You must, have not, you must have not atoned for all of our sins because we're, we're left here to work, to earn it. We really prize the, the cross of Christ in Christianity. And I think that, that for us to take that mindset, and, and we all have it, to some extent or another, is it's very bad. But we have to try to weed that out of our minds. Diminishing the cross of Christ is, is not something that we want to do. It's not something that we want to strive for. So we have to understand our wickedness. And we have to trust in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Do you treasure the amazing grace of God 
How many parents do we have? I did this in the first service. Or parents-to-be, raise your hand like you're happy about it. Okay, awesome. Uh, I would be one of those parents-to-be, as I said before. And I really just, as I've been thinking through application and, and how I can apply these things, it just, it just hit my heart. I, I'm going to be having a kid in like two months. That's a big responsibility. And just what kept coming to my mind and coming to my mind is, how am I going to raise that child? Am I going to raise them in such a way? Am I going to model for them in such a way that when they're old, they'll understand the grace of God? I realize there's a lot of different ways in which people have opinions of ways you can raise your children and different, different action steps to take. And I think often it's do this, do good, and you'll be blessed. Do bad, and you'll be punished, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we have to ask ourselves, are we teaching them? Are we showing them the grace of God? Are we raising our children faithfully in that regard? For those of us who don't have children, how are we doing at extending grace to those who have hurt us? How are we doing at forgiving one another? God took us from death into life. He took us from being hostile to loving him. He took us from children of the devil to children of God. He's forgiven us clearly the most. I don't mean to diminish the, the pains and the hurts that, that you felt from other people, but are we seeking and striving to show that same grace and forgiveness to those who have, who have hurt us? Have you been changed by the grace of God? Are you doing the works that God has brought you out of death into life to do? It says that he's prepared works for you to do. Are you doing them? Are you seeking to grow in the knowledge of the Lord? Are you seeking to serve in the church, whether here or in your home church? Are we seeking to faithfully raise our children? Are we trying to bear the burdens of those sitting to the right and to the left of us? Are we a church that is marked by the grace of God? When people think about Fairlawn, is that what they think about? Grace. Maybe they think about law. Maybe they, maybe they think about a church like the church in Galatia. I hope that's not the case. I hope that, that we as a congregation and we as a corporate entity and we in our personal lives are people that are marked by God's amazing grace. Is this your story? Have you been changed by the grace of God? Can you testify with Paul that I once was dead, but now I'm alive? If you haven't, I would invite you to cast off the burden of trying to earn your own salvation. Because you can't. 
You cannot earn your own salvation. It's not by works done by us in righteousness. It is by grace. I would plead with you, come to Christ. He is the one who bore the burden of the law so that sinners like you and I wouldn't have to. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the grace that you've given to me, the grace that you've given to many here today. I pray that you would continue to work in each of our lives, that you would bring sinners to repentance, that your grace would be something that marks us as your people. Thank you for this series, Lord. Thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for Paul's testimony of what you did in his life and what you've done in ours. I pray that we would worship you and we would praise you for all these things. I ask this all in your name. Amen.